Hi there. Thank you for listening to Spotless, breaking the boundaries of television. The world of TV and advertising is evolving quickly. The largest content creators, distributors, and brands are all vying for new ways to engage the next generation of viewers. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. Consumer behaviors of the next two years will decide the winners and losers of the next two decades. Now here's our host, Michael Shields, GM of Advanced Advertising at Triple Lift. Steve Stout is an advertising entrepreneur and music industry innovator. Stout serves as founder and chief executive officer of United Masters and Translation. With funding from Alphabet and Drayson Horowitz and 21st Century Fox, the companies are converging music, technology, and storytelling in a way that has never been done before. United Masters is a technology and data-driven artist services company that provides musicians tools to maximize their potential while remaining independent from traditional record labels. Translation Agency is a creative agency that connects the world's most famous brands to culture through sports and entertainment. Prior to founding Translation in 2004, Stout was a music industry executive at Sony Music and Interscope Geffen A&M. He produced albums for Mariah Carey and Nas, led the production efforts for Gwen Stefani and Enrique Iglesias, and executive produced the Academy Award-winning Eight Mile film and soundtrack. Stout is the critically acclaimed author of The Tanning of America, a member of the Advertising Hall of Achievement, and has been named one of Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business and Executive of the Year by Ad Age. Stout serves as an advisor to Social Works, a nonprofit founded by Chance the Rapper that supports public schools. Steve, you truly have one of the most impressive and diverse backgrounds that we've had on the podcast to date. Author, CEO, ad executive, music industry executive, manager, entrepreneur, tastemaker, and the list goes on. There's one thing that all those experiences have in common. Yeah. Influencing culture. Um, can we start a little bit, uh, talk about your background, the thing that gave you the confidence to understand that you could affect culture? Well, it was never, it was never a uh, predetermined idea that I was going to do something to, you know, affect culture. I, I, I was fortunate. I grew up in Queens, New York, uh, in 19, when I was 15 in 1985. And in view 15 in Queens, you were in the middle of Run DMC, LL Cool J, what Russell Simmons was building at Def Jam. And those things were omnipresent in my life. So the truth of the matter is I grew up in a art form that was counterculture and hip hop. And if you subscribe to it, you were going to go on a ride for your life, which I'm a direct beneficiary of because hip hop taught me to that breaking conventional wisdom was actually the only way to make a difference and make a dent. And I've taken that attitude and everything that I've done throughout my career. Um, and as a result of that, 
you know, it leads to statements like, you know, affecting culture, but I didn't know, I didn't set out to do it. It just happened because I followed my path. Steve, our audience consists mostly of listeners with a background in television, advertising, storytelling, and to a certain extent, technology as well. Your agency translation sits right at that intersection, but with a very defined purpose. To those who are less familiar, describe translation, your mission, and how you work with brands. Translation's original intent was to translate culture for Fortune 500 companies. That was always what we intended on doing, making a difference by teaching Fortune 500 companies that there was another way of approaching a problem and solving a problem where culture was going to be a part, an ingredient in that solution. And that's tactics that I learned from the music business. So I took that idea and that attitude to uh, start translation in 2004. And the first work that we have done um, that was impactful was come up with I'm Loving It for McDonald's. Mm. And um, not only I'm Loving It, but then, you know, the Jay-Z sneaker and the 50 Cent sneaker, you know, uh, for Reebok. And this was a time when people thought, would never even think that rappers or musicians should be associated with sneakers at all. How would they be able to sell sneakers when sneakers were used for sport? So you'd only use athletes at the time. Um, These are just things that helped really change um, the industry overall was bringing that level of confident and thinking uh, to the table. And over the years, I've been proud of the campaigns that we've done for State Farm, the NBA, um, the NFL, you know, AT&T and Kaiser Permanente, Hewlett Packard, Apple. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But we are an agency on one end, but we are more importantly, a company that can help a brand move culture. And I think you kind of speak to that right off the front of the page on the website. So it says, you know, boldly, when you go to the translation website, the world doesn't need another ad agency. Can you Mm -hmm. comment on that? Why not? What does that statement mean to you? Ad agencies have just become, you know, everybody has an ad agency. It's like the world doesn't need another company saying that I can make your ad better than the next guy. The world doesn't need another company to say, if you hire us, we're going to, we have better craft people because this person came from widening. This person came from 72 and sunny. And it's like that, that spiel was yesteryear. What, the, what, what companies need are solutions from leaders who are going to help them break through and drive engagement. And like those tools, storytelling is one of those tools. Being able to have insights that are proven insights is critical. Um, the first party d- data uh, and intelligence that we get from having a brand like Uh, United Masses, a music distribution company. That's part of it. Having engineers and technologists as part of the team is part of it. So having a a, 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 a slew of services that converge culture and technology and storytelling, to me, that's what brands need. And, you know, that's not an agency. It's just not an agency. Can we talk a little bit about process? You have this almost consultative 
data-driven approach. When you come in the door to speak to AT&T, Kaiser Permanente, you have these tools that you just described. Yeah. A little bit about the way that you talk to the CEO or the CMO and what your process is as a firm. It depends. I mean, it's not, there's no, there's no predetermined pitch. You know, we, 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 we don't work with everybody. We work with companies that we believe have executives and leadership that want to do something that's going to drive change. A lot of, a lot of people, what I found out in this business, they work at companies and they'll basically do anything not to get fired. <laughs> so they don't do anything for change. They don't do anything to really make a difference. They do everything from, they play prevent defense all day long. How can I not lose my job? And, you know, I want to be able to go in there and possibly break things. And at the same time, you know, hit home runs and create new business opportunities and create a seismic change in outcomes. That's what I want to do. And, and sometimes in the middle of that, you may have to break things, but you got to have people who are willing to take risk. So if there are executives that don't want to take any risk or brands that you know are risk averse, those usually, we don't do work. We don't work well with them. I've never worked well with them. Mm-hmm. I imagine you probably have a list of executives and brands that you want to continue to work with in the future as well, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make you, I don't want to lead the audience to believe that I got this black book of, you know, of, 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 of people's names and, and companies' names and brands. It's, it's more like you can tell, you can see a company, you can see leadership when they want to do something different that you could, you, the, the signs are there. I mean, and when you get in a room and you start talking, you find that magic immediately. Like, is there, are you looking for, to manage what you already been doing, or are you looking to create a sizable outcome, a sizable shift um, in connecting with the youth generation or a sizable shift in trying to understand how to, you know, show different ways this brand can be utilized. If you're trying to do things that are out the box um, and they make sound scary at first, then we're probably the people that work with. Some of the brands that you work with that have been going through the, the biggest change are sports brands, NBA, NFL. Um, no doubt sports was originally hit hard over the past several months due to COVID. Um, and they've made some really interesting transformations. And the NBA has just done a tremendous job, I think, uh, of marketing itself and delivering a product during this time. How has your company responded to thinking about brand commitments or strategies that were heavily reliant on live sports. What did you advise your your clients? You know, we we did something that was really great um, that we learned from with Disney when we did the uh, the Last Dance, the Jordan Doc came. It was food for the soul for everybody. It was the closest thing to live television. We did a brand integration with State Farm with, with uh, Kenny Maine predicting the future. And it was wildly um, regarded as breakthrough, really smart. Um, and it was entertaining. And I was like, wow, you know, advertising when done right actually brings joy. It feels good. Uh, it's uplifting. And I was just trying to really tell my brands that we work with, 
make work. Don't be another brand that A, is patronizing to George Floyd's Black Lives Matter. Like, like, don't do it in vain. Be another brand saying, because of, you know, basically checking a box. Don't be afraid to bring joy. Like, should you be committed to diversity? Absolutely. Should you be empathetic to what's going on? Absolutely. But you don't have to be another brand that just buys advertising saying we are committed to blah, blah, blah. You know, people are not feeling good. They're home alone. They're uncertain. You can bring joy. You can bring joy to people's lives. So I was really giving a lot of my brands the advice that there's not only one way to approach this, which is the obvious, let's chase the front, the headline of the New York Times, which is, you know, Black Lives Matter. And let's like, that's part of it. And, but, but there's also the need as a result of that, that people need to be uplifted. And what uh, role could you play in that? And congratulations on that campaign. Not only the last dance was really one of the, the MVPs of coronavirus, if you will. And that campaign really did uh, uh, succeed in that objective of bringing joy. Um, so congratulations on that, Steve. You know, part of the commitment we're making on the podcast is to um, attempt to keep the, the dialogue around the Black Lives Matter movement um, uh, fresh. And um, you just talked a little bit about how you helped some brands kind of navigate and respond to the movement. Um, uh, I wonder if you might comment on like amplifying other brands that have done a good job, right, that you think, uh, um, you know, have helped to really amplify voices during this time, if you would call uh, a particular campaigns out, right? Um, and, and describe some of the process in which you talk to brands about navigating uh, around BLM. I, I can't, I can't, I don't remember all the brands and what they did at that time. I, yeah. You know, I, I mean, to, to, I don't want to sit here. I know when people ask that question, it's a very often asked question, like what brands are you, I, I, I kind of I kinda like, I think United. I think United Masses did a great job. Um, you know, we signed up four hundred thousand artists over the the pandemic and gave them an opportunity to release their music um, as independent artists and, and and get revenue at a time when there was no live performances and there was no record companies to go to. Um, they could go to our you know record company in your pocket DIY service United Masters and it's been super successful helping distribute, you know, tens of millions of dollars to artists um, uh, and gave them the opportunity to conduct their business while the world was going, most physical places were shut down. The work we did, you know, as I said, with, with uh, State Farm and ESPN was brilliant. At least that's the way people felt about it. And I, I just think that time will tell, I mean, Nike did a brilliant campaign, um, a few brilliant campaigns during that time. But it's it's hard for me to remember every single thing right now because I, I don't want to do anybody a disservice by not mentioning them. Because if you somebody says it, I'll remember. But like it's not, I don't have the top of mind right now. Uh, that that's fair, Steve. Let's dive maybe into a couple deals that are a, a little bit more recent. Um, in particular. Um, the deal with the Disney ad sales team and, and the partnership with Rita Farrow and her team. Um, 
Could you tell us a little bit about how that unfolds and what you're excited about uh, objectives and working with them? Well, my objective with them is to, to really, I think that that's groundbreaking for the industry for, you know, an agency to partner with an ad sales department and their in-house creative and go give brands that are looking for cutting edge creative that's on the cultural edge, the bleeding edge, the opportunity to, to make great work. And like that state farm work was part of that idea. So how do we make more versions of that? And using Disney's scale and reach and our creativity allows us, I think, an opportunity to do something that's dynamic. And for us as an agency, it puts us in front of the world's greatest brands. Disney works with the world's greatest brands. Disney is one of the world's greatest brands. And that's what they attract and that's who want to be in business with them. So because we have that seat at the table now, we get a chance to take our cultural insights, their scale and reach, and do something that is, is, is new and different. And I think going to be copied and mimicked in our industry. Mm -hmm. You're doing something with a totally different partner that's also applying like cultural insights over their core product in a way that truly is needed by the industry. Um, the partnership with, with, with Nielsen also I find fascinating. Could you tell us a little bit about, um, again, like how that developed and what your hopes are for the partnership? I always believe, Mike, that um, cultural relevance was something that was extremely important but was never measured. So I remember years ago in 2003, 2004, I would go out with Jay-Z and I'd go, we'd go take meetings with companies um, because we were trying to figure out what kind of partnerships to do. And this was early on when it wasn't common to partner with hip hop artists or musicians at all. And I remember coming out of meetings that didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And they were saying, they were like, well, if we're going to do this, why wouldn't we do this with Nelly, who sold more records at the time, or Ja Rule, who sold more records at the time, or Ludacris? They all had sold more records. So if they're going to do something with a rap artist or an artist at all, why not, doing it with, why not do it with the most important artist? But I'm sitting there going, well, just because they sell more records doesn't mean that they can convince customers to do X, Y, and Z. Relevance does that, not just fame. And, but there was no way to explain that. So I've always been trying to figure out how do you put in measurement around cultural impact? And as everything has gone digital and music has gone digital and you're able to sort of garner insights and, and, and gleam insights from a bunch of different um, digital signals, we take that and work with Nielsen to build something that I believe will measure cultural impact. It will be able to measure relevance. It will be able to help brands not just make decisions that are famous or by media and target uh, the most viewed, but also find ideas that may be more impactful because of their relevance and make more creative that is actually more relevant as a result of um, insights that they get from our partnership with Nielsen that, those, and the suite of products that we will be announcing. 
It's interesting when you think about Nielsen in the context of how you described how some of your other partnerships um, evolve. Nielsen historically and really a, a long time ago, I think struggled um, to help us measure and understand some of the demographic shifts that were uh, uh, happening across America, inclusion of one more Hispanic household, let's say in the survey, right? And um, it kind of misled media buyers for some time. Obviously they've made tremendous strides to update their business, um, in particular uh, um, being led by their current management. Could you tell us about how that like partnership with the CEO has unfolded um, and the like-mindedness in your thinking? The partnership with which CEO, sorry? Nielsen, sorry. Oh, David, yeah. yeah. Um, I've known David for 15 years when he was building Digitas, I met David. Look, I do really well with CEOs that want to do something different. Whether I am working for them in service of their company with translation, or we are partnering like David and I to do something unique and different and a brand a product offering some brands. When you have a CEO on the other side who's anxious to do something, anxious to make impact, anxious to to, to, to do something smart that, that makes a difference. Those are the kind of CEOs I do really well with. And David's always been that. David's an entrepreneur. I mean, from, from Digitas to the Weather Channel to selling that to IBM and now Nielsen, he's a great executive that I have a lot of respect for. He's an entrepreneur. And I always wanted to do something with him. And when we started speaking about the opportunity of cultural relevance and how we can put qualitative and quantitative sort of measurement around it. Um, we just put our teams on it. We, we stayed on it and, you know, it took us about six, seven months to really get it tight. And that's the announcement that we, we, we recently made. And congratulations on that. Another transformative deal. Um, underpinning when we talk about measurement, we're we're talking about different kinds of engagement metrics, right? Um, you know, we're in the attention economy. A focus of this podcast is on television. Um, Reed Hastings, Netflix's CEO, often describes his competitors as as a YouTube or Fortnite uh, groups that aggregate attention and other media, um, and not the likes of HBO and Hulu and other streaming services. What, what's your take on that, on the diversification of media and the, the, the diversification of attention um, as we try to build metrics for the, the attention economy? Hmm. That's a lot of questions in there, man. <laughs> well, let's take it like maybe one at a time, right? So as an agent, as an agency partner to brands, right, right. you have to come up with a attention-focused media strategy that is diversified across platforms, right? So when you're working with a particular brand, understanding that they may want to reach audiences in different media and video games and streaming television, right? Like what's your approach to thinking about that total diversified media strategy? I don't have a one size fits all answer for that um, because it really does depend on the brand. It really does depend on what sort of audience that they're looking for. And, um, and I like to start everything with why. Because 
this whole idea that I talked about where you start chasing fame or famous things, a lot of times when you ask the question why, it forces the person to answer, why do I care about? Why do I want to market on Twitch? Why do I think that that's the thing to do? Why am I buying ads on Snap? Why do I, is it because other people are doing it? Or is it because there's something about my customer that I believe I can get them in a very acute manner on Snap versus Twitch versus Instagram versus TikTok? And if you just go and say, oh, I'm gonna buy all of them because I know they're somewhere there, then you clearly don't know your customer. And you don't know your customer if you don't know the occasions in which they partake in certain media. And you certainly don't know your customer if you don't understand not only the occasion, but the frequency in which they partake in a, a particular um, channel. And I think all of those things, when you unpack the why and really break it down, then you can actually start to figure out the sharpest way to approach so that you're spending dollars most efficiently. What I've learned in this business, one of the bad habits is this whole idea of spray and pray. Big brands have got enough money to say, ah, we're going to spend enough money to cover and blanket everybody. And you know what? Nobody sees you. Nobody sees you. You get back reports that says people seeing you. It got exposed to a certain amount of people, but no one's seen you. It's like NASCAR. You see these cars. I don't even know. I know there's a bunch of logos on them. I can't tell you one of them. You just see it, but you didn't pay attention to it. Um, I call that empty eyeballs. So they say they got the eyeballs on it, but you it's empty. I don't remember anything. I don't retain anything. I don't, so you kind of wasted your money. I want to shift gears. It's related to that, to that, to that question and that answer, Steve, but I want to shift gears a little bit because ultimately when you're thinking about building a firm, when you're thinking about recruiting talent to work with your firm to help solve those problems for brands, right? You're recruiting people that can apply that lens when they're talking to a brand and not just talking about increasing reach by buying on Snap, right? Or reaching certain demographics by buying across different media platforms, but can actually apply the lens of understanding what the consumer uh, messaging needs to be for particular brands in particular contexts. How do you think about finding those people? How do you think about talent? Musicians? Yeah. You know, what I love about music today is that a hit can come from anywhere. You can be a kid in your room right now in Jacksonville, making a song, 17 years old, and a month from now, it's the next Old Town Road. And that is so magnificent that the opportunity can come from anywhere. And that's, that's what allowed us the insight to build United Masters as a record company in your pocket so that everybody has the opportunity to make music, get it distributed, and be heard. That's what it's all about, is, you know, when the business was built years ago, and there was a lot of talented people that never got a chance to get a record deal. They weren't in the right city. They didn't live in New York or L.A. or Nashville. 
They, 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 they didn't have an opportunity to get, you know, um, to the front of the line. And I think now the optionality and the creativity and the wide, uh, the, the, the vast um, uh, amount of folks who are creative that has an opportunity to, to make a song provides us, we're lucky to be on the other side of that phenomenon and hear great voices and great perspectives and great songwriters and new talent breaking out every single day all around the world. And you're seeing what's happening in Latin music. You're seeing what's happening out of Africa with Afro beats. You're seeing what's happening in hip hop. Um, and these things wouldn't have happened years ago if you weren't democratized the mm -hmm. way it is now, not only in the distribution, um, but also on the ability to record at affordable prices. These, all of these things have helped make the music business a very dynamic place for finding fresh new talent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's gonna continue to grow. The independent music business will grow. And I will predict in the next five years, it will be as big, if not bigger than the legacy record labels, the independent music business. A lot of people have talked about during this time, Steve, that like the, the trends that were developing over a period of years or decades are being accelerated by this massive shift in consumer behavior. What does that mean for the music industry? Are there particular things that you're seeing are going to be fundamentally changed um, because of the events of the last six months? Oh, yeah. I think people are going to be held accountable. You know, the idea that you can run a business and not be held accountable for diversity is going to be gone. People are going to speak up now. Um, I think that's going to change. I think people are going to get much more opportunity. I think that's going to change. I think that we're going to be um, empathy will be something that um, an emotion that will be much more understood, much more on the front line. Because what I realize is that a lot of people, a lot of my white counterparts never really understood that it was this bad. And now they have, and they're empathetic towards it. That's why you see in the Black Lives Matter, peaceful marches, protests, you see white, women standing right there. You see white men standing right there. They're empathetic. You know, years ago, you wouldn't see it like that. It would be black people marching for a black cause. And now you're seeing empathy cause diverse groups of people to come together. I think that's gonna be a significant shift. And I think that's the reason why it's so impactful because it's not a black person's problem. It's a humanity problem. And everybody's empathetic towards it or you see uh, the growth in empathy clearly with the amounts of crowds that are coming out uh, for these initiatives. We look forward to that, Steve. That's a great take. Um, and I think a good place for us to, to, to end. Steve, we, we're so appreciative of you coming onto the podcast. Uh, we're honored to have you uh, uh, in the mix. Thanks so much for being here. Well, listen, man, thanks for having me. I am... You know, I feel like I've been in the advertising business now for 15 years. I feel like the OG now. Uh, and I came in when I was 34 years old and 
didn't know how to fill out an invoice, didn't even know how to bill a client. Now, you know, all the awards, advertising executive of the year and, you know, great campaigns and all that stuff aside, I feel like the advertising business, um, it's a privilege to be able to put messages out in the world. I remember as a kid watching TV commercials and how much they changed my life. Um, and to be able to make content and help shape brands and be able to tell stories on their behalf is a privilege. So thank you for having me and um, Advertising Week, thank you. Thanks, Steve, take care. Thank you for listening to Spotless. Be sure to subscribe and come back soon for another conversation about the future of television. For more information, you can connect with us anytime at spotless at triplelift.com. <laughs>